0: Again, if you would please turn in your scriptures to Psalm 35, and it's also printed there in the bulletin. I'm not going to read it again because of its length. We read it earlier in the service. Uh, This week and next week, we will finish our sermon series through some of the selections of Psalms, and then the following, in a couple of weeks, we'll start a new series in 1 Peter. So we'll look at this New Testament epistle from the Apostle Peter and his instructions to the church. So look forward to continuing studying God's Word together with you. As we prepare now for the preaching of God's Word, let me pray one more time. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, one of my children asked a question that I think we're all asking right now, or at least we're all thinking. How long, oh Lord? How much longer is the coronavirus going to last? Has anyone else asked that question? How much longer is life going to be inconvenienced by this Pesky pandemic? How much longer till we don't have to wear a mask anymore? How much longer will it be till we no longer have to look at each other like we're some type of biological weapon? How much longer till we can embrace one another and sing our hearts out? How much longer? Will this additional stress and anxiety that we're all feeling right now, how much longer till it goes away? How long, O Lord? That has been the cry of God's people since the fall, certainly since captivity in Egypt. How long, O Lord? This is the question that David asked right in the middle of this psalm. If you notice there in verse 17, he asked, How long, O Lord? will you look on? David, a man in distress, a man being mocked, a man being persecuted, he asked the Lord, how long? To understand why David is asking this question, we need a little context. Unlike Psalm 34, before Psalm 35 here, we don't really know the context. We are not told, but we can surmise from different occasions and different situations and experience we read about the Old Testament of what might have been going on here in David's life. One particular situation we find in 1st Samuel chapter 24 where David is speaking with Saul. Saul at that time was the first king of Israel. David was one of his military commanders and in this scene Saul is raging mad at David, insanely jealous because of David's popularity. David then approaches Saul and tries to reason with him to understand why Saul is so jealous and why he's so intent on even trying to kill him. So David goes to Saul and he contends with Saul. And he tells him, look, you're just listening to a bunch of liars, a bunch of mockers who have it out for me. And that's why you are so upset with me. And so David says to Saul in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 24, May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David contends with Saul. So it was an occasion like this, or perhaps some other occasion, in which David found himself crying out to the Lord for relief. Crying out to God for salvation and deliverance from his enemies. David was sick of the liars. He was tired of the oppression. He was tired of running and hiding. And so he cries out to God. He begins this psalm. Contend, O oh Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight me. In other words, David is saying, God, will you deal decisively with these jerks who have it out for me? God, will you, will you fight against those who are oppressing me? And so David's distress, his persecution, his anxiety, it was not short-lived. It went on for years and years. And so we ask, Lord, how long? How long will David have to deal with the persecution and the oppression before the Lord rescues him from those who ridiculed him and sought to destroy his life? Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe you don't find yourself in David's particular situation circumstance but maybe you're wrestling with the question right now lord how long how long oh lord how long will you have to deal with the the sickness and the ailments that are afflicting you how long will you have to sit there and watch your loved ones suffer how long before your children can get back to some type of regular routine please lord How long will you no longer have to live with the worry and the anxiety and the pressure that life has on us right now? How long? Is this you this morning? Is this how you feel? If you do, this psalm is for you. But maybe you're not feeling that way, this way right now. Maybe you're an introvert. And being cooped up in your home all the time is just fine. (laughs) But I'm willing to predict, I'm willing to guess that for sure we all will be faced with this question one day, Lord, how long? How long? And as we live by faith in this fallen world, wrestling with the reality of the sin and brokenness, brokenness of this world, we need to once again make sure that our theology is in order. As the people of God, as the church, we need to make sure our theology is in order. We need to ensure that our understanding of who God is and what he has done is theologically and biblically correct. So that in our distress, in our worry, in our anxiety, when we are crying out to the Lord in prayer, that we can be fully persuaded as David was here, that God is with us, that he cares about us, especially in our affliction. John Calvin once said, If we would rightly frame our prayers, a clear conviction of God's providence must first shine into our hearts, restraining and governing our desires. In other words, we need confidence that God is with us, And that his sweet providence is guiding us, especially when times are difficult. This is where our confidence must be. And so how does David find this confidence? Where does he get this confidence in the midst of his distress and persecution? How does he know that God is with him, that God is for him? He knows this for at least three reasons. Three reasons, three truths about God where he is, in a sense, getting his theology correct. These are three reasons, three truths about God that we also need when we find ourselves in distress and crying out to God. The first is, in the first section of the psalm, is that Yahweh God fights for his people. Yahweh God fights for his people. The second truth, the second reason for confidence here is that yahweh god often delays for the good of his people and the third is that yahweh god he invites in precatory prayer i'll talk about that here in a moment the first is yahweh god fights for his people we see this in verses one through ten let me ask you this this morning does your theology of god include a god who is a fighter Do you believe that God fights for you? That's how David begins the psalm when he asks for God to contend for him. He's basically, he's asking God to take up his cause. He's asking God to take up his moral cause, but also his physical cause. He's he's asking God to to be his lawyer. He knows that God is the best defense attorney there is. He's the the righteous judge of the earth, and so he says, Lord, fight for me. Plead my cause. But then he also asked for Yahweh God to come to his physical aid to protect, protect him from those who sought to destroy him. And so he asked God to take up his armor, take up his weapons and fight for those who pursue him. That is how David begins this psalm, very passionately crying out to the Lord, Lord, fight for me. It would be easy for us to look at David's experience here and look at David's life and think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, that's, that's David. I mean, he's the famous guy in the Bible, right? I mean, he's, he's one of God's specially chosen ones. I mean, that's, that's not for me, we tend to think. But this is not true. The reason why we read about David's life and his experiences in Holy Scripture is so that you and I would take comfort and we would be encouraged Because we will find ourselves in situations like David. Maybe there will be others coming to pursue you and blame you and ridicule you and accuse you. Maybe even fight against you. It is in these times that we need to know that God cares for us. That he is with us. That he protects us. That he will fight for you. Calvin again says... It can be difficult for us to recognize God's secret power that is able to deliver us from all of our fears. But we should not lose heart because God takes up his armor and he takes up his weapons against our enemies and he fights for us. And so it's at the end of this crying out to the Lord here in these first few verses. In verse 3, David says this very short prayer of confidence This is really something for us to model. Look at what he says there in verse 3. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Think about that for a minute. Think about what he's praying, what he's asking the Lord. Think about the assurance that that God is bringing to David here, where he, he whispers and he declares to him with confidence, I am your salvation. In other words, and Calvin is again helpful here, he says, Lord, however great the discouragements, confirm to me that my salvation is in you. And though temptations assail me, take control of my thoughts that they may rise above every danger. More may I be infallibly convinced as if you had personally spoken to me that I shall be saved through your favor. God fights for us. He is our salvation. And we pray, as Calvin said here, that as if God is personally speaking to our hearts, he says, I am your salvation. And then we find in verses four through eight some very interesting prayers that are imprecatory in nature. In other words, David is asking God to be against his enemies he's asking he's praying to god that his enemies plans would fail that that their schemes would be their own destruction this is not a bad prayer to pray (laughs) it's often how god works God doesn't often come down in a fiery cloud and just swoop away his enemies. He doesn't often just strike down adversaries with lightning. But he does give evil evil men and their evil desires. He gives them over to that. He lets their own evilness destroy them to be their own destruction. This is how God often works, and this is how David prays. But he doesn't just ask God to spike the football on all his enemies so that he will be more popular. He gives God praise. After all this, in verses 9 through 10, David praises God like he does in these other sections. He ends with praise and rejoicing. He says, who is like the Lord? Who is as good as the Lord in his salvation and deliverance? Who is as good at delivering and rescuing the poor like the Lord? He answers, no one. We praise the Lord because he fights for us. He is with those who are poor in spirit and who are needy. And then we too can be like David with our whole being, with all of our bones, all of our bones praising the Lord. Because God fights for us. That gives us great confidence. The second reason for confidence is this truth. That Yahweh God often delays for the good of his people. God often delays for the good of his people. In this next section of the psalm, verses 11 through 18, we're back to that soul searching question which we began with this morning that runs throughout David's experience and often our experience as well. How long, O oh Lord? How long will you look on my misery? David feels utterly betrayed and and abandoned because of the experience here. He's being mocked and afflicted and slandered. His misery seems to go on and on. There seems to be no end in sight for those who hate him without cause, he says. Those who devise words of deceit. And so David pleads for deliverance. He cries out for rescue. But it doesn't come right away. It doesn't come immediately. Is God listening? Does God even care about his misery? Is God just watching all this and ignoring David's calls? Why the delay? David seems to believe that deliverance will come but it will come in God's timing. And then he will praise the Lord. But now, it's just waiting. It's patience. How long, O Lord? Have you ever felt this way? That in your misery, you cry out to God, and then nothing happens? Why does God delay? How long, O Lord? I mean, what a, what a prayer. What a, what a moniker for the world that we live in right now. I mean, weren't we promised that the pandemic would be over right now? <laughs> weren't we promised that things were going to go back to normal? Didn't we hope for that? How long, oh Lord? Remember that while David is waiting, the mockers are continuing to mock and slander him. And then he has this double whammy waiting on the Lord waiting on God's timing while he listens to this mocking how long O oh Lord you know our Lord Jesus went through the same thing he was betrayed by one of his closest friends and he too had to wait on God's timing this should bring comfort to you and to me To know that our Lord, who was tempted and tried just like us in every way, that he too suffered betrayal and ridicule, he too had to wait. And because our Savior sympathizes with us in every way, we can have confidence that God's delay in coming to our aid, his delay in not immediately answering our stress, his delay in not immediately answering our prayers, it is for our good. It's a biblical principle of the Christian life that we all need to learn, and some of us have to learn the hard way, that good things do come to those who wait on the Lord. That God often delays in our timing, but his timing is perfect. It's the patience that we must all learn. Because many of us have learned that in that patience, that in God's delay, his timing has been impeccable. It's been perfect, and then we have offered thanks and praise. But for now we need to hold fast to this truth that God's delay is often for our good, that God is teaching us all patience right now. And we cry out to him, "How long, O Lord?" The third section of the psalm <clears throat> in verses 19 to 28 is this truth that God invites in precatory prayer. Imprecatory. I bet you've never heard that word before. Maybe you have. Before I define it for you, let me ask you this. Do you think that God cares or minds when we pray that your enemies would be shamed and humiliated and even cursed for their vile actions against you? Do you think God invites that? Does your theology include a a, a God who not only fights for you, (laughs) even to the point where you pray for your enemy's demise? That's what's going on in this last section here. This final section of Psalm 35 is not go into the nice category. You didn't flip open your encouraging word of the day desk calendar today and read any of Psalm 35. I guarantee you that. Because David is praying. He is asking for vindication in this prayer. And he at the same time is asking God to let his accusers be disappointed and put to shame for their evil deeds. So these words are imprecatory in nature. They're 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 a curse and not a blessing. And that's why these psalms are often called imprecatory psalms, that God would judge his enemies. Del Ralph Davis says, On the whole, contemporary believers distance themselves from this vigorous and virile expressions of faith as found in Psalm 35. But what good is an effeminate faith? He asked. In other words, what good is a faith that does not fight? What good is a faith that does not have these expressions of confidence in the Lord and his vindication? Moreover, what good is a God who will not fight for us? We need a God who fights for us. Who has fought for us. And we have one. We do not need to distance ourselves from this language. We need to cling to it and see that God cares this much about us. And so the final section of this psalm ends in the same way that these other sections do. It concludes with rejoicing and praise. And so David's response to his oppression and his confidence that God's sovereign grace will come and intervene in his life and deal righteously with him and his enemies... It results in him giving praise, saying, Great is the Lord, he says in verse 27. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. David learns what many of us have had to learn in waiting on the Lord. That Though our waiting is hard, though patience with God's timing is very difficult especially in times of worry and stress and distress and opposition, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. The Lord's timing is always the best timing. Good things always come to those who wait on the Lord. His mercy is always sweet when it finally comes. And then we too can join in the chorus here. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and seeing all the day long Because he is great and he does great. This psalm is about a man who was despised and rejected. A man who even tried to serve and to pray for his enemies. And yet even then he was mocked and ridiculed and betrayed. And as we study these type of psalms, especially these psalms of David, there is something that we should start to notice. There is a pattern that we should start to see, and that is that David is, in many respects, a type of Christ. David's life is to point us to the greater David, David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like David, evil men hated Jesus without cause. They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like that he loved and befriended sinners. And they certainly did not like his claims about himself. And the distress and the rejection that Jesus experienced culminated in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three, 23, where the Apostle Paul gives the words of institution for the Lord's Supper. He begins them with this little phrase that we often forget. It says, "...on the night he was betrayed." Jesus was betrayed. It was on that very night that he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, by one of his disciples. Betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And yet it was at the height of his betrayal that Jesus gave his disciples, that he gave his church a meal he demonstrated his, his love and his grace that though he would be despised and forsaken, though he, would, though he would be abandoned, he would not leave or forsake us. Because he would give his body and he would shed his blood. He would fight for us. That is the gospel to us this morning, ladies and gentlemen. That is the gospel on display before us. We no longer have to wait. We no longer have to hope and wish for God's deliverance because proof of his love, proof that he has fought for us, proof that he cares for us is in that he has given his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so let us prepare our hearts this morning, brothers and sisters. And proclaim the Lord Jesus' death until he comes. That great is the Lord. He is our salvation. Our God fights for us. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we thank you for these great and precious promises, these wonderful truths about you. That you, O oh Lord, fight for us. That, O oh Lord, your delay is not that you have neglected us, not that you have forgotten us, but that you are working all things for our good and for our deliverance. And, O oh Lord, we praise you that you care about our stress, you care about our distress, you care about when we are persecuted. And, Lord, you have done something. You have provided salvation. You have sent your Son. And so, Lord, we proclaim, we praise you that you are great and greatly to be praised. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.